So if you have Bibles, can we actually turn to Jeremiah 20, 29? We're going to go verse 4 to verse 14. As we are celebrating our first Sunday, I thought this is an appropriate word for our community. Jeremiah 29, starting from verse 4. We're going to go all the way to verse 14. Let me read for us. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, take wives and have sons and daughters, take wives for your sons and give you daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters, multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets, your diviners, your diviners who are among you deceive you and do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. Verse 10, for thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. This is the word of God. Let me pray. Lord, we thank you for this afternoon. We thank you for what a wonderful reminder as we are celebrating our first Sunday in our new location. I just pray you would speak to us, not only as a community, but as people, as your sons and daughters, God. And we just pray your word, God, will not return empty. Holy Spirit, do more than I could ever do. May hearts be changed. May, may we open up our hands and, our, and, our, and, our, and, 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 and get going, Lord, with this scripture. We thank you. We love you. Just in me pray. Amen. All right. There was... A lot happening this morning with moving pieces. Actually, the service, Yeon Church service actually ends at 12.20. And our team had to come in. And we only have about 50 minutes to set up. And our team did a great job. So thank you guys for that. So as we're celebrating our first Sunday in this new and wonderful space. I mean, did you see this star? I mean, how how wonderful is this space? Um, I've been thinking a lot about what it means for a community of Jesus to be on the move. This idea of moving we're planted in this area called Wangshimni, and now we're in Chamshu. So I've been thinking a lot what it means for us to move to a new neighborhood. And of course, there are practical implications when we're thinking about moving, parking, service time, location. But we shouldn't overlook the spiritual implication of what it means for us to now be in this new part of the city. And what's been really helpful as I've been processing this idea of our community moving to a new place, I never thought we'd be in Jamshi, but now here we are. It's been really help- helpful because in the scripture, the scripture has many examples of God's people being on the move. 
In fact, we see throughout the scripture, God's people have often been on the move. Most recently, we're in the book of Acts together as a community. Right? And it was, long, it, it was not long after the birth of the church in Acts 2, God moved his people out of the city into the other parts of the region. And when you think about the Old Testament, right? that's the book of Acts, that's the New Testament. When you think about Old Testament, starting from the story of the garden to Noah, to Abraham, unto the Israel's time in Egypt, movement of God's people have always been a huge part of the story of our faith. So today we're going to be in Jeremiah 29, and the whole chapter is a letter written by a prophet named Jeremiah during the time of Israel's exile in Babylon, right? And verses 1 and 2 gives you and I the timing and the occasion for this letter, for this chapter, which is a letter. Verse 1 tells us, this happened after Jeconiah was taken to Babylon in 598 B.C., right? It's 598 B.C., and, and by 598 B.C., Babylon, the great Babylon, had already invaded Judah and Jerusalem twice, right? 605 B.C. and 589 B.C., and each time they've taken captives. Daniel and his friends were part of that group, Although our move, when we think about our move from Medusa to Yehan Church, is not of an exile of any sort. I think we've, we've upgraded in terms of every, every way. I think there are wonderful, unchanging truths that we can glean as we celebrate and make this move to this new part of the city. But let me, before we talk about our move, let me give us the context of this passage, for we need to read this passage in context. You see, Babylon was a huge metropolitan city with great culture, beliefs, and different deities. And for God's people that were taken into city of Babylon, it was a completely different world from what they were used to. Anyone seen the movie Elf? Anyone like movie Elf, Christmas movie? Really funny, real pharaoh plays an elf named Buddy who is actually a human. He finds out he's a human because he's like 6'8". Will Phil is like 6'8". But grew up as an elf all his life. And in the movie, in the beginning of the movie, Buddy makes his long journey from North Pole to a city called New York. And in order to find his long-lost father, he realizes his father lives in New York and he wants to go and sort of discover who he truly is. And there's one scene at the beginning of the movie where Buddy sees a cafe sign in the middle of New York and the sign says, the best cup of coffee. So, so Buddy, this guy, runs into this cafe with, beaming with excitement, looking at the workers and, and congratulating each worker saying, you did it. World's best coffee. You gotta, I mean, if you haven't seen Elf, you got to watch it. It's one of, one of the funniest movies. Uh, and that, that's one of my favorite scenes. It's comical, but the move, when you think about God's people moving out of Jerusalem into a city called Babylon, uh, would, would have sort of felt like that, right? The two cities, Jerusalem and Babylon, couldn't be more different in their value, in their worldview, in the way the culture was lived out. And as God's people are navigating their new lives in this new city, God gives, through Jeremiah 29, God gives practical instruction how they ought to conduct themselves in this new city. And God says, build houses, plant gardens, give your sons and daughters to marriage, have children, right? But we, before we get to those instructions, verse 5, 
I believe verse 4 is the most important reminder that we find in our passage that ties everything together. I believe verse 4 is what ties every other command in this chapter together. It's an anchor of this chapter. And verse 4, if you're following with me, Jeremiah 29, it says, The exiles whom I have sent. Notice, the scripture doesn't say, To all exiles the enemy has taken, although that's true. Notice it doesn't say to all exiles who are being punished for their disobedience. Although through prophets we know that's also true. Isaiah and Jeremiah talks about how their time in Babylon is God's punishment. God's way of disciplining his people. Even though that is true, that's not what we find in verse 4. In verse 4, what it says and what God is trying to tell his people that are now living in a new city. He says, you are in Babylon because... I have sent you. Because, and because you have been sent by my sovereign plan, this is now what you ought to do. Build houses, plant gardens to pursue marriage, have kids. So first truth, and perhaps the most important reminder that we can glean from our passage individually as a community is this. Friends, you are where you are in your life because God has sent you. You are where you are in your life because God has sent you. Whether it's your current season of life, a lot of our families have a newborn, and that's a tough season to be in. A lot of joy, a lot of pain. Uh, whether that's, that's your workplace, your relationships, the coworkers that you have, the, the boss that you work for, your current clients, your employees, if you're a teacher, your students, you are where you are. Not because of any other reason, but really primarily because God has sent you. And if we believe that to be true, right? if we believe Jeremiah 29 4 to be true, not only for God's people in that context, but for us, we also might, must believe that he has sent us with a clear purpose. This, again, this is true us as individuals, but it is also true for us as a community. Again, if you asked me a year ago, right, like a year ago, as, as soon as pandemic started, and if you told me, hey, we have to move out because something would have happened to our mall, I would have said 10 other places in the city than Jamshir. Like Jamshir was not in my radar. Like I have 15 years of my life in Korea. I have never lived in Jamshir. I have never really hung out in Jamshir. I've been to Lotte, Lotte World maybe a couple times and that's about it. I, I have never even been to the, 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 the crazy tower until recently. Again, Jamshir was not in our radar. And it's still wild, wild for me to think that God has landed us here. Yet during our season of searching out for a new space, right? because earlier this year, we were told by the mall, eventually the mall was going to, was going to close and we're going to need to find a new space. Through that process of looking and visiting and seeing other spaces, God has made it clear that this is where we ought to be as his community. He made that clear not only to myself, but he made that very clear to Pastor Sean and the host church. I, I shared this story briefly, right? The same day I received a call, right, from the mall management team telling us we have to move out by end of June, beginning of July. We had different conversations. There was a possibility that we would be able to rent in different space in the mall or different potential opportunities. But at the end of it, they said, you know what? Our, our leadership made a decision. You all have to move out and there's no other potential space. 
That same day, I freaked out. I was like, oh my goodness, I thought we could stay and we could work something out. Pastor Sean, Pastor Sean was here. He received a call from a church plant. So before we were here, Yehan was renting their space to another church plant for a 2.30 slot, right? There was a church plant here. The same day I got a call from management team, Pastor Sean got a call from the pastor of that church plant. And they said, let's meet. And then they met that week. And the pastor of that church plant just told Pastor Sean, we're going to have to move out by end of June. No, like Pastor Sean was, was shocked. He was like, well, you're going to, because this church was struggling as a church plant. The rent was more, more than they would have liked. But, but Pastor Sean's like, they never even asked for a discount. I would have given them a discount if they were like, hey, can we just stay longer? But Pastor Sean said, they just came and told us they're moving out. And it's going to be end of June. So, I mean, me and Pastor John, we looked at each other. We're like, okay, maybe God is moving us here, right? Before, we wouldn't even think about it because uh, the earliest we could meet was 4 o'clock if that church was still here. And just, just other things, not just those things, but other things have started, started coming together. And, and, and really, Pastor Sean and I and our leadership, we, we sense that God may be doing something to move us, uh, move us here. And here we are, our first week. So, so King's Cross, let's approach our season in this space with great anticipation that God wants to do something new, not only for the sake of our community, but really for this church, for this neighborhood, for the greater part of Chamshir. Like I believe God wants to do something new, and we are just a small part of what God is already doing in this space. Amen? So Israelites in the story were in Babylon because God has sent them. That's true, and that's verse 4. So having established this truth, Jeremiah, in, in the voice of God, he tells God's people, the rest of the passage is really God's, God's instruction how they ought to approach their time in Babylon. In verse 5, if you're following us, they're encouraged. God's people are encouraged to build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce. Uh, so if you think about this imagery of building, planting, and cultivating, these imageries remind us of another important mandate that we find in Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, 27, 28. This is what's known as cultural mandate. And this is, this is when God has established his creation, put Adam and Eve in charge, and this was his first command to Adam and Eve. So God created men in his own image. In the image of God, he created male and female. And God blessed Adam and Eve. And he said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens, over every living thing that moves on the earth. Really, Genesis 1 is about God bringing order from chaos, right? That's creation process. And God's people, Adam and Eve, first humans, are also called to bring order from chaos. And in fact, every creative process that we partake in, right, involves bringing order from chaos. In Genesis 1, God chose to create the universe by bringing order out of chaos. And so all human creative process mirrors what God has done in Genesis 1. So when you build a new home or new cat stand, is cat stand a thing? Maybe not. Um, a range and planting a garden. Not many of us have gardens. We live in the city. Uh, but when we do that for beauty and food, developing a vaccine, coding a program, painting a picture, all involves bringing structure and order to chaotic elements. 
When you think about all that work that we do, whatever field you may be in, what God is really calling us, calls human beings, is to bring order from chaos. Many of us are parents, not all of us. Doesn't, doesn't it feel like 99% of parenting is about bringing, bringing order into the lives of these adorable, chaotic little humans? I mean, when I think about my interaction with my two daughters, I feel like 99% of the time is me trying, me and my wife trying to bring some kind of order to my two little human beings. There is massive chaos all the time, and we're like, Emma, you shouldn't do this. Emma, you should do it this way. Emma, can you brush your teeth? Emma, can you actually brush your teeth? Well, Emma, can you brush your teeth for the 10th time? And, and she may do it, right? It's, it's bringing order into chaos. And the instructions we find in verses 5 and 6, build houses, plant gardens, give your children away to marriage and have children. They're not simply these nice sounding words or God's desire that Israel do not live in Babylonian homes. God wasn't like, I want you to build your own Jewish homes because I don't want you to live in Babylonian homes. That's not what God is saying, right? Or, or, or God does not want his people to eat from Babylonian gardens. That's not what God is saying. No, God is once again reminding his people who are stuck in exile. Genesis 1, 27, 28. Cultural mandate. What's really at the heart of it, right? Uh, Genesis 1, verses 26, 27 to 28, really at the heart of it is a call to mirror God in his creative process. It's this idea of displaying the very image of God that we are created in. So verse 5, this is not a new command. Build houses, plant gardens. It's not a new philosophy of life that God wants to install, instill into the hearts of his people, but instead they are mere continuation of God's very own heart which was from the very beginning. You see, the nation Israel in our passage has been chosen, right? Nation Israel has been chosen from the beginning of time to display to the rest of the world the goodness, the generosity, and the holiness of Yahweh. That's really the purpose of God choosing the nation Israel so that they can go and show rest of the world the character, good character of God, His holiness, His generosity. So this is why even though the scripture tells us in verse 10, if you, if you look at 29.10, even though God tells them clearly, your time in Babylon is not forever. God says, when your 70 years is up, I'm going to bring you back to Jerusalem. Even though their time in Babylon is temporal, God's instruction is not do what you can, just survive. No, instead, he says, even though your time in Babylon is temporal, fully engage, fully invest. Pray for the flourishing of the city that I have planted you in. So God's people, so let's review. God's people have been sent. They have been sent with clear purpose. And that purpose is to display the image of God, the goodness of God to people living in darkness. So verse 7, God tells them, God continues his conversation. In verse 7, God tells them, seek the welfare. The literal translation of that word welfare is shalom. Everyone say shalom. Seek the shalom of the city where, where I have sent you to exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf. God says, pray for your enemies. Pray to me about your enemies. Pray for their shalom. 
And he says, actually in, 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 chapter, in verse 7, it's shocking. He says, for in its shalom, in the shalom of your enemies, when your enemies experience shalom, you're going to find your shalom. You see that? That's what it says. And this word shalom, we've talked about this a lot uh, in previous sermons. Shalom is often translated as the word peace, but, but the, the definition doesn't simply mean absence of conflict or war. Shalom literally means putting order from chaos. Shalom literally means the sense of wholeness. And it's this very idea of making something whole again. Something that was broken, something that was taken, you return it and you make it whole again. Again, it's about what? God's again talking about the creating order from chaos. That's shalom. And you see, at the time of the letter, if you, if you know anything about Babylon, at the time of the letter, Babylon was a center of Mesopotamian civilization. It was a mega city. It was a center of Mesopotamian civilization. The ancient scientists who lived in Babylon at the time made important discoveries in mathematics, physics, and astronomy. It also boasted of great buildings and beautiful gardens. It was known for this beautiful garden that, that they, they were able to produce. The city had reached its greatest glory during the reign of Nebuchadnezzar II, which was at the time of this letter. And at the heart of the city, there were 14 different sanctuaries for different gods. Another 29 were distributed all over the city, throughout the city. You see, it was a city that boasted of its great accomplishments and a city filled with deep darkness and chaos, like many cities that we know today. San Francisco, New York, Seoul, these major cities, they boast of great things, but also there's deep darkness. So God looks at his people who are living in this pagan city. He says, you pray and seek its shalom. And in its shalom, you're going to find your shalom. Friends, you see what this means. This means our sense of well-being as we're living in Seoul, as we haven't moved from Wangshinli to Jamshi, our sense of well-being, a sense of wholeness is directly related to the well-being of places and the relationships that God has sent us into. For King's Cross, that's Jamshi. For you, it may be relationships that God has given you with your co-workers, with your boss, with your clients, with your students. Even if those relationships and places may feel extremely overwhelming now and challenging and hard. And perhaps you don't like your current season of life. Perhaps you don't like your current workplace. I mean, how many of us really enjoy our workplace? Perhaps you're struggling in your relationships. Perhaps it's relationship with your parents. It's parenting for some of you guys. It's your marriage. And you feel overwhelmed by the weight of the season that you're in. If that's you, that's often me. I feel like last year and a half has been deep darkness. You know, what we went through as a church and also my back. And I just feel like I was sharing with our elders. And I feel like we went through something really dark. God wants, if that's you, if that's me, God wants to encourage us this afternoon as we engage, invest, and care when, when, when even, even when it's hard and challenging. And I trust that God is going to do His healing work in your life as you engage and pray and seek the shalom of the places that God has sent you to. And now, that's chapter verse 7. Now onto the most famous 
Old Testament Bible verse, right? Jeremiah 29, 11. And one of the most misquoted, misused passage of all time. Verse 11. Jeremiah says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You see, Jeremiah 29, 11, I know we're very familiar with this passage because we've heard these verses many times. Some of you guys have this verse framed in your living room, in your workplace. But you see, Jeremiah 29, 11 is not God speaking to a group of people who are experiencing lots of success. Jeremiah 29, is not, God is not speaking to a group of people who are about to start a new, new businesses or promise given to people who are starting their marriage or starting a family. Verse 11 is given as a promise to those who are facing challenging times, who are dealing with disappointments in their lives, who are deeply afraid of their immediate future. Jeremiah 29, 11 is not about you're going to be successful because you are successful. No, you may be distraught. You may be tired. You may be overwhelmed. You may feel confused about your future. But if that's you, this is me speaking my promise to you because of my covenantal relationship with you. Friends, again, do you find yourself in a hard place this afternoon? Do you feel overwhelmed by all that's been happening around you in your life? Are you in the middle of relational conflict? If that's you, this scripture is for you. And it's a promise. Actually, it's beautiful. If you think about that, notice 11, verse 11. It doesn't say, when you call on me, I will hear. That's not what it says. You will call on me and I will hear, right? It doesn't say when you seek me with all your heart, I will reveal myself to you. It doesn't say that. No, it says you will call on me. You will seek me. You will hear me. You will find me. It's a declaration of what will take place in the future. It's not conditioned by when, if, but it is you will do these things. That's a promise of God in the lives of people that are struggling, that are afraid. But how will this happen, right? Because we're talking about Israel, the nation that have continued to be disobedient, that can't figure things out. They've been given many chances. They've been to Egypt before. They're not now in Babylon. How will this really happen? How can people whose hearts have been shown to be so fickle and unfaithful seek God with all their hearts? How will holy and righteous, sinless God preside with people with great shame and sin? That's the question we ought to ask. Friends, it's the gospel. See, all of the promises we find in our passage only became reality through the obedience of one man. You see, this whole chapter being sent to a foreign land to model the very image of God, to restore order from chaos. This is the summary and really the reflection of a far greater story, the gospel story. You and I, we know of someone who was sent. We know of someone who left his home that was far greater and far more impressive than ours. He came into a world that was filled with pain and brokenness and chaos. And he came to bring shalom. He was called the Prince of Shalom. Who took on all shame, all sin, all opposition. 
and made a payment with his own life. And scripture tells us death, even death, could not hold him down. Darkness could not overcome. And it's only through his life, death, and resurrection our stubborn, rebellious, sinful hearts are made new. And only when we come to face when we come face to face what Jesus has accomplished not only for his people at the time of Babylon, but for you and I, we can begin to live for the shalom of others. King's Cross Church, as we're celebrating our first Sunday in this place, I want to encourage you to hold on to that truth because as long as we hold on to that truth and move from that place to serve this neighborhood, serve this church, serve this part of the city and people in it, God will continue to reveal himself and he will be glorified. Amen? Let's pray. Let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for these wonderful promises that we find in Jeremiah 29, 11. But Lord, it is so freeing to realize this is not up to us. This whole blessing that we get, righteousness and your favor, it's not up to us, God. It's not about us being able to come to church. It's not us about being able to give. It's not us being able to live holy lives. But it's really everything depend, it depends on what you have done, Jesus. Your righteousness, your generosity, your goodness. So Lord, as a community, as your sons and daughters, we run to you, God. In our overwhelmed state, in our fear, in our places of darkness and relational conflicts, God, Lord, we run to you. And as you have been so gracious to us time after time, would you again show us your goodness, your righteousness, wisdom, Lord. Renew us this afternoon, God. Renew us with this promise. We thank you. We love you. Send me pray. Amen.